Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is an unspoiled network podcast. This is Spoil Me, covering The Time of Contempt, Chapter 6. In this chapter, Siri went through a portal and wound up someplace she was woefully unprepared to be. Namely, a vast desert with no people, no water, no food, no nothing. This is a chapter with a lot of suffering and eating everything she comes across. Welcome to Spoil Me. Welcome to the show, everybody. I am Natasha. Many, many thanks to Melanie for commissioning this episode. Um, this chapter is one of those that like, I feel is in some ways very effective because of the repetitive nature of the story in this part. But like at the same time, there, so I switch between, and it, it depends on the book, but with some books, I do it more than others because I like the narration of one book more than, you know, uh, reading it myself or vice versa. Um, this audiobook is narrated pretty well. Um, but the, the, the actual words and actual lines are repeated so often verbatim over again that I actually stopped listening and opened the book on my phone to make sure that it wasn't like that. I hadn't accidentally pressed the like back 30 seconds button. Have you guys ever done that by accident? And you're like, cause you're just picking up your phone. I have like a newer iPhone that doesn't have the home button and I do not like it because you can just really easily like activate the screen and it, I have pressed back before. And the first time that there was a repeat, I was kind of like, Oh, okay. But then when it happened again, I started to be like, because the phone was in my pocket, I was like, am I doing this? And no, it just turns out that he has taken an entire line of text, a whole sentence and repeats it like two, three times. So 
on the one hand, it does get across the like tediousness of being alone in the desert with nothing. But on the other hand, it, it like literally makes me feel like I'm standing still as a reader in a way that I'm not sure is what he was going for. Um, but let's talk this out. So it's, it's the first uh, sentence is the heat woke her. It burnt, burnt her skin like a torturer's glowing irons. She could barely move her head for something held it fast. She pulled away and howled in pain, feeling the skin over her temple tear and split. She opened her eyes. The boulder on which she had been resting her head was dark brown from dry, congealed blood. She touched her temple and felt the remains of a hard, cracked scab under her fingers. The scab, which had been stuck to the boulder and then torn from it when she moved her head, now dripped blood and plasma. So, that's a pretty great opening image. That really gets across how long she was like passed out for, how hot it actually is. And the fact that like, there's clearly nobody around to help her because she managed to get stuck to a boulder via her own blood and still no one has come across her. It is like somebody dropped some, uh, like a piece of meat into a frying pan and they didn't oil it first. And you just like get that, like you can't get it up again. It's rough. Um, and she is looking around and straight up doesn't know where she is. And like, I have to be honest, I forgot about the end of her chapter and the fact that she went through a portal. So for a minute, I was like, what exactly is going on here? And I was like, oh, right, right. Um, and she's looking around at her body because the rest of her is in a lot of pain as well. And it turns out that she probably like slid on the ground. Like she maybe came through this portal and like fell a little bit of a ways. And she is covered with like grazes and scratches and everything. Um, and when she breathes, there's pain in her side. Like perhaps she broke a rib she keeps telling herself, like, oh, I don't think I did. But I'm like, oh, it kind of sounds like you did, though, girl. Um, crouching forward awkwardly, making deliberate movements, she very slowly maneuvered herself into a position which would protect her injured knee. Then she went on to all fours, groaning and hissing. Finally, after what seemed an eternity, she stood up, only to fall heavily onto the rock, as the dizziness which blurred her vision instantly took her legs from under her. Oh my god, guys, I'm sorry. That was my cat, who does not know. She startled the hell out of me. I swear, I my heart is in my throat. Oh, I forgot she was even in here because she's been so quiet. Oh, god, um, I hate that feeling, that startled feeling. Sensing a sudden wave of nausea, she lay down on one side. The searing rock stung like red-hot coals. And she lays down and says, I'll never get up. I can't. I'll burn up in this sun. And, I mean, honestly, I can't help but, like, sympathize with this. <sighs> I want to say... With this course of action, some might argue that it's not actually a course of action at all, but everything is a course of action. Inaction is still a choice. And there are times in my life where I have been so overwhelmed 
with how un like essentially hopeless a situation seems that I have just shut down and decided not to do anything. I'm sure you guys can relate to that. And it's not the best way to handle it. I'm not trying to say it was a good idea on my part. But it's something that sometimes can help you like recenter your brain. It seems like you're giving up, but your brain is still going when you sit still like that. So you have time to think over. If I do nothing, nothing changes. You have time to think over, well, what about this possibility that I that had not occurred to me? Or just in general, calm down and and get past that feeling. So while I know that the uh, stopping and curling up sort of reaction to a huge stressor or an emergency situation is not always appropriate. I understand that. I do think that it is underrated for certain situations. Um, so she lays down and she is just, you know, she's in a huge amount of pain. She's all alone. She doesn't know where she is. Everything is against her at this point. And um, she has this pain in her head and like she, every movement that she makes, she puts her arm over her face to like kind of shield herself from the sun. But eventually that's like so painful on her arm that she can't. And so she's like, I'm going to have to go somewhere to get away from the sun because I could die, you know? And I feel like it's for those who have never been to other parts of the world, if, especially if you live in a Northern area and I mean, Northern, like, Anywhere north of Utah, north of the middle of the country, I don't know if it's possible to explain to you the difference in sunlight when you are somewhere that is more southern and or has no breaks in it to protect against weather. Um, I moving to Texas was a real shock for me. And it's sort of weird because I have gone to other countries. I've gone, you know, I went across the pond to London. I've, I lived in Guatemala and Costa Rica for a little while. I have been places more southerly than where I am. But where I was in both Costa Rica and in Honduras was in the mountains and the hills, lots of trees, a whole different feel to it that protects you. It keeps the, the heat from being unbearable. It keeps the sun from being direct. And there's a lot more rain. It's just different, more cloud cover, everything. Moving to Texas, and I'm in North Texas. So I would like to say, anybody who lives south of me, I am sorry, because Texas is flat. And it's not as flat as like Kansas or something, but it is pretty fucking flat. And there are trees very scattered and far apart. And the sun here bakes you in a way that I have not come across. It is just different. Like my skin, you when you say you can feel your skin burning, that was true in Connecticut as well in Philadelphia, if you're out in the skin with no protection. But when you say you can feel your skin burning, it's often like, I know if I stay out in this for too long, this will be a problem. In Texas, when I say I feel my skin burning, I'm like, I need to get into the shade in the next five minutes because this is going to start to be like a problem for me. 
And I say this as somebody who in Costa Rica literally got sun poisoning and was vomiting and covered in blisters. I know what bad like, effects the sun can have. And Texas feels worse than anywhere I've been. There is the the weather comes at you with no warning as well because there are no hills and no breaks. So you can see the rain like 10 miles away heading towards you. And the cloud cover that you can get some days to protect you from the sun because there isn't anything sort of in the way. If it's windy at all, that cloud cover gets swept away incredibly quickly. So I cannot imagine having just barely started to adjust after a couple of years to what the sun is like in Texas versus other places I've lived, what it must be like for Siri in this place so abruptly that she didn't intend to be, that she is completely without any sort of like equipment for, you know, literally I go out now to take walks in the summer here and I bring a parasol and people may laugh, but guess what? I don't want skin cancer. I don't want to look like a saddlebag by the time I'm 50. And I also literally cannot take it. It's just self-preservation. If Siri had had a parasol, how different this would have gone. <laughs> Not that different. Spoiler alert. Oh my God. I said Siri and Siri woke up on my phone. I didn't catch that. She says, oh, bless her. I had actually wondered if that was going to happen at some point, but I forgot all about it. Um, screwing her eyes up against the shooting pain in her temples, she crawled on all fours towards a large boulder sculpted by the wind to resemble a strange mushroom whose shapeless cap gave a little shade at its foot. Um, and of course, she's able to like get out of the sun for a bit, but the the sun moves. It's really shitty that way. So eventually she kind of has to like shuffle around and once the sun is directly above her, there's still practically no shade at all. And she falls asleep and wakes up and is completely like shivering. And this is what I exist, like what I experienced when I had sun poisoning. You have the burn first and then your body reacts as if you're freezing. And it's the weirdest sensation because you can feel the heat coming off your skin. It's like the, the, your skin absorbs the sun and is exuding it back out into the air later on. However, within the heat of your skin inside, it's cold. So you're like wishing you had a blanket, but when you put the blanket over you, the heat from your skin is too much. And it's like, there's just no possible way to get comfortable. And that shivering hurts because you are covered in blisters and burns. So like that movement of your body, it's just fucking awful. So I just like reading this, I was like, oh, this is so horrible to read about. I remember exactly what this was like. And she eats later and winds up vomiting it up. Yup. Like... All of this. Um, her headache was less intense and was no longer blinding her. Um, the heat had eased off. She touched her head and discovered that the heat had dried the blood on her temple, turning it into a hard, smooth crust. Her entire body still hurt, though, and it seemed to her there was not a single place free of pain. She hawked, sand grating between her teeth. Oh, I hate that sensation, guys. And tried to spit unsuccessfully. 
And she realizes that she hasn't got any spit in her mouth. Like she's growing really dehydrated. And she also is wondering where the hell Geralt and Yennefer are and that they must be looking for her. Which this starts to develop into a feeling of being abandoned a little bit later, which is really tough because like this sort of feeling of the, the abandonment, the perception of that often is not actually a rational feeling. Sometimes it totally is. Don't get me wrong. But many times it's sort of this primal instinctive feeling that we get that is buried so deep in us from like, from just our fears as humans of being alone, of being abandoned by, you know, our group that is meant to care for us, that it's something outside of our control. So I try and understand that when she starts thinking about how they abandoned her later on. But I did have a hard time with being like, oh, you came through like this crazy portal. They might not know that you did that. Like you are expecting them to find you when who knows how far away you are. And you purposefully went through the portal because you knew that people weren't going to find you easily and you were trying to escape. So you can't get mad at them if you're difficult to find when that was what you intended by doing this. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, like I said, still am trying to be understanding about the feeling that she has. I mean, you can't avoid this panic when you're in the situation she's in. Um, so she's like realizing that she's dying of thirst that the canteen that she had had on her is gone. Um, and she tries to get up and walk and she could barely even stand. She takes one step and then falls over and starts to sort of vomit, even though there's really nothing in her stomach. Um, and, she sobs uncontrollably for a while, but there's no crying because she's so dried up, which is just the most awful thing. Like, there's something really rude about that, that you can't even have the the fucking tears because the environment around you has stolen your ability to have a proper cry. Yikes. Um, and... She kind of like falls asleep again. And when she wakes up, she's feeling a little less pain. Her thirst is worse for sure, but her body is like kind of recovering from the fall and the fight and everything. Um, so she starts talking to herself the way that Geralt would. Uh, I have to get up, defeat the enemy, fight, suppress the pain and weakness inside me. I have to get up and walk. At least I know the direction now. The sun is setting in the west. I have to walk. I have to find water and something to eat. I have to, or I'll die. This is a desert. I landed in a desert. The thing I entered in the Tower of Gulls was a magical portal, a magical device which can transport people great distances. Um, and we get a little bit of a flashback of the weirdness of the portal. And how difficult it is to actually see. And again, she is aware of how difficult this was. Like she didn't see it right away, but 
the abandonment is still in her head here. Um, the vortex spat her out in mid-flight as a young eagle drops a fish, which is too heavy for it. When she smashed against the rock, she lost consciousness. She didn't know for how long. Um, and she's thinking about how reading books about portals, there are some that are sort of distorted and they're really like meant like portals the in in the ideal are meant to take you from one particular place to another particular place but there are some that are very chaotic and just toss you out in random places um no one is going to look for me here and no one will find me if i stay here i'll die and she makes herself get up and walk and she realizes that like her shoes are torn up and she has to uh, sit down and like fix because the, the shoes being torn up, like in a desert, you can't just be without shoes. Eventually, maybe once your feet have built up a callus, but like you can't walk on that sand, even in the dark, if it's been hot enough, the sand will be hot for quite a while after the sun has gone down. Um, so there was there is this uh pouch that she's got next to a dagger that she has and in that pouch is a tortoiseshell comb a knife a combination knife and nail file a packed sterilized tampon made from linen fabric and a small jade casket containing hand ointment so she takes this ointment out and rubs it all over her face and then she pulls like she's about to like put it away and then she just takes it out and eats it the whole thing out of her container and it says the chamomile ambergris and camphor used to perfume the ointment made it taste disgusting but they acted as stimulants now forgive me if i'm wrong guys chamomile is not a stimulant is it isn't it a downer like it's meant to calm you Camphor also isn't that like derived from opium? Isn't that also a downer? I don't know if I'm misunderstanding this, but like anyway, um, she unpacked and unfurled the tampon, making a wide headband from it to protect her injured temple and sunburnt forehead. Genius! What a good idea! That tampon must be really friggin' like tightly packed and rather large to be able to manage that. I don't feel like a tampon that I have in my bathroom right now could manage it, but okay. Um, and she says, I'm a witcher. No, I won't die here. Hunger? I can endure it. In the temple of Militelli, it was occasionally necessary to fast for up to two days. But water? I have to find water. I'll keep walking until I find some. This accursed desert must finish eventually. If it were a very large desert, I would know something about it. I would have noticed it on maps. I wouldn't. I would uh, have looked at it with jar, and then thinks, um, and I can never lose my way. I always will know which direction to walk by seeing where the sun sets, and. She heads out and, you know, this is a pretty good pep talk. And she finds this bush and she thinks that she's going to be able to find some leaves that she can chew that will have some moisture in them. And it says the bush only had sharp thorns, which cut her fingers. It didn't even have any branches suitable to break off and use as a stick. 
The second and third bushes were no different, and she ignored all the rest, passing by them without stopping. This is excruciating to read. Like, if you guys know basic, like, this is stuff that's taught to us in, like, fifth grade, right? Those cacti have water inside them. The spines are meant to protect them from predators so that they don't get broken open. But she could have eaten those and drank from them in the on the inside, likely. And it's not like, you know, it's not filled with a gallon of water inside, but it would have been something. And with several of them in a row, she probably could have done pretty well for at least a few hours. But she doesn't know that. She hasn't been educated in this. And that's like, it sucks to read that and know that and realize that she just, why would she know this? You know, something's covered with like tiny little spines. You're not going to fucking try and crack it open. She would have to get way more desperate. She winds up being more desperate later eventually, but it's still... It's something that would never occur to you, I don't think, unless you had some more background in botany in the first place. Um, So finally, darkness really begins to fall and it starts to get super cold. And this is one of those things about the desert that has always fascinated me. How far on the end of each spectrum it falls in terms of temperature. It is so insane that a place can be 120, 140 degrees during the day, like if you, you know, the sand would be. And then at night, it can drop to like below zero temperatures at times, which is just insanity. Um, I don't think it's below zero temperatures here because she would die. But clearly, it's cold enough that like in combination with the fact that she probably does have some sun poisoning, that's excruciating. Oh, brutal. Um So she keeps on trying to walk, keeps on having trouble, keeps falling, grazing her knees, and uh, really cannot see. Like, the moon is very thin, so it's not casting very much light. And she was intending to be able to walk throughout the night while it was cool. But because there's no light, she keeps on running into things and is realizing that she can't, like, follow through on this plan. Um. Meanwhile, with the sun down, she isn't even sure now that she's walking in the right direction. I don't know if uh, you guys have tried walking in the woods without like a map or a trail, but there's, you know, you hear about people walking in circles. And when you hear about that, if you haven't been out somewhere without direction, it may sound absurd. It may really sound like, oh, okay, idiots walk in circles, but that wouldn't happen to me. I know a straight goddamn line. You think that. You don't. I have thought that many times. And then there were a couple of times where I was out in the woods. I had one time where I I had a real scare where I thought I had really gotten myself lost. Um, And you do 100% walk in a circle. A big circle, granted. So it does seem like you're walking in a straight line the whole time, but you're not. And it's really humbling to realize that you are not excused from that rule, that you are not the exception. It is something happens to our brains and we don't even realize it and we're going in circles. And so she does wind up realizing when when the sun comes up that she was walking in the wrong direction for a while. Um, So... 
she let's see oh yeah here it is um siri lifted her hands and pressed her palms against her temples the power is everywhere it's in the water in the air in the earth she quickly stood up held her hands in front of her and then slowly and hesitantly took a few steps feverishly searching for an underground spring she was fortunate Almost immediately, she felt a familiar rushing sound, a throbbing in her ears, and the energy emanating from a water vein hidden deep within the earth. She imbibed the power with cautious inhalations, which she gradually released, knowing she was weak and that in her state, a sudden shortage of oxygen to the brain might render her unconscious and thwart all her efforts. Um, so, Siri brought her accelerated breathing under control, and she'd done it. First the aching, first the paralyzing pain, then the cold. I have to raise my body temperature. Um, so she uses her magic and manages to get some warmth going in her body. Um, a small warm sphere of light floated from her hands like a butterfly, casting shifting mosaics of shadow on the stones. Moving her hand slowly, she stabilized the sphere, guiding it so that it was hanging in front of her. It was not the best idea. The light blinded her. She tried to move the sphere behind her back, but again with a disappointing result. It cast her own shadow in front of her, making visibility worse. She So finally she puts it like above one of her shoulders, and uh, she's like pretty happy that she managed this by herself. Um... I had really, when she like taps into the spring way under the ground, I of course assumed what she was going to try and do was pull that water up towards herself. But she was simply using that energy deep, buried deep to like serve her magic. So I thought that she had found a way to start a spring up on the surface, but that is not the case. And, and granted, this is not a bad use of magic. Like, traveling in the dark is really the only way that she's going to avoid death other than finding water. So it's the second best thing she could do, but it's also really like, it's a, a real disappointment when you think that she has found a source of water. Um, so she's walking and she keeps like passing like piles of rocks and things like that um, are making weird sounds and she's remembering about the weird creatures that she's learned live in desert areas, scorpions and things. Um, and finally, she kind of runs out of energy to keep the spell going and the ball of light winds up going out. Um, a vague glow arose on the horizon far ahead of her. I've gone the wrong way, she realized in horror. I've muddled everything. I was heading towards the west at first, and now the sun's going to rise directly in front of me, which means... And she was heading due east, it turns out. I just... I, oh, it's so horrible. Um, she is woken up... Um, like, she kind of passes out here. And she winds up waking up before the sun has really come up. And there is condensation on the rocks and on her knife. And she licks up all of the moisture that she can. And it says, lapped up with the sand and grit, not daring to spit. Which, 
had not even occurred to me. But yeah, your instinct when you've got sand in your mouth is to spit it out. But if you're trying to preserve every drop of moisture in your body, you can't just be spitting. You can't do that. That's valuable moisture your body needs. So you just kind of have to like swallow it, which is just so, oh my God, guys, there's little things like this that I feel like it sounds like it's not a big deal. What? So just swallow it. Who cares? It's just sand. But like, think about what that actually feels like in your mouth and how difficult it would be to make yourself do that. Your whole body and your instinct is like, just revolts against the mere idea of it. Um, so she used her tongue to gather the glistening drops hanging on the thorns of a stunted shrub, which had mysteriously managed to grow between the rocks. Oh my God. Ugh. I want her to just get her dagger out and cut this thing open. Um, and overcome with pain, which made her whole body stiffen, she crawled on, but the golden disc of the sun had already burst above the rocky horizon. Um, and she, at first, is kind of like, oh, thank God, there's some warmth. But she knows that it's not going to be too long before this is no longer pleasant. Um, by noon, the rapidly intensifying heat had exhausted her so much that whether she liked it or not, she had to change her route in order to look for shade. Um, she finally found some protection, a large boulder shaped like a mushroom. She crawled under it. I read, when I was hearing that, I was just like, motherfucker. And then she saw something lying among the rocks. It was the jade casket, which had contained hand ointment, but was now licked clean. She couldn't find the strength inside to cry. Y'all, this is like a fucking literal nightmare. Like, this is the kind of bad dream you would have where you're trying to run and you can't move. Only, in some ways, worse because you think you're moving. And then you realize you're not, that it was all like an illusion. Ugh. Um... So finally, she has to keep moving because she's so hungry and so thirsty that despite her tiredness, it's still like driving her on. Um, and she manages to like get the sphere back, but only like it, she has to try a couple of times. And every time she does it, it tires her out so much that she can't maintain it. Um, and this goes on just like this walking and trying so hard to like keep some sense of direction, keep one foot going in front of the other when it's just feeling like she can't take another step. She has to make herself, um, a large colorful lizard sitting on a nearby rocky ledge opened its toothless jaws at her, ruffled its impressive crest, puffed itself up and lashed the rock with its tail. In front of the lizard, she saw a tiny water-filled crevice. Um, so she throws a rock at this lizard and it disappears and she goes up to the cleft and then she drinks as much of the water as she can get into her mouth from this little depression. And then she spots all of these lizard eggs that are buried in the sand and immediately like digs them up and just drinks them. And this is one of those drinks slash eats. Um, when I was in Costa Rica, part of what I did down there was count. I was keeping track of the number of sea turtles that were coming up onto the beach to lay their eggs. And it's called the Aribada, I think is how it's A-R-R-I-B-A-D-A, -A -A, if I'm not mistaken. Um, 
And part of the uh, tradition in this town, because they come and lay on this beach particularly for some reason, it's like the main laying place. Um, the first lay of those eggs almost all get destroyed. Um, it's That's part of why the turtles lay so many is because a, a fraction of them actually wind up hatching. And of those that hatch, only a f- like maybe less than half, I'm pretty sure, those baby turtles actually manage to get to water before they're snapped up by birds and eaten. Um, so part of the thing that the town would do was gather up the eggs before they were able to be eaten by birds or swept all the way out to sea or whatever. And they would sell them, excuse me, and they would um, eat them. I never had it. I couldn't do it. There was a cocktail in the town that I was in that was like a shot of tequila and they'd crack a a turtle egg into it and you were supposed to like just drink it down and there was like one other ingredient i don't remember if it was like hot sauce maybe but it was just one of those things that like look i recognize this is a tradition and that i should do this because what would anthony bourdain do but i just couldn't i just couldn't do it i couldn't do it and in a way part of me kind of regrets not doing it and on the other hand even now if i were given another chance i still don't think i could do it um but yeah, she ate every egg uh, and she has yolk in her teeth. She's covered in sand. She's digging around and all of a sudden she hears this voice in her head. Sit up straight, princess. Don't rest your elbows on the table. Be careful how you serve yourself from the dish. You're dirtying the lace on your sleeves. Wipe your mouth with a napkin. Stop slurping. And she just starts crying again. Um you know, in comparison to the way that she had been taught what she's going through right now is just, it's a lot. So she can see this mountain range and that's what she's kind of heading towards. And there's like a sparkle coming off it, which makes her think it's probably snow. Um, and she's looking up at the sky, trying to use the formations of the stars and kind of realizing that she should have paid more attention in class. Um, She finally managed to select one bright star from the twinkling throng, which she thought was indicating the right direction. She didn't know what it was called, so she christened it herself. She named it the Eye. So we have her walking. She spots, like, a plant. Um, She finds a beetle, a spider, another lizard's nest containing four eggs. Everything she eats. Uh, Like, she just, you know, there is, she is not, being picky right now but then at noon she vomits all of it up again and she has to like find somewhere to lay because she basically like passes out wakes up continues walking continues walking evening rest night so we're looking at like what four days at this point um and Once again, she slept through the worst of the heat, curled up in a ball beneath a sloping boulder, which was partially buried in the sand. Her dreams were fitful and exhausting. She had dreamed of water, water which could be drunk. Guys, is there anything more excruciating in life than dreaming about a thing that you desperately want and waking up and realizing it was a dream? Like, it is... Real, it is the a kind of particular kind of heartbreak that is hard to describe, but 
Oh man, I've had it in, from a wide range of things. Like silly, like little uh, petty things. Like I'm on a diet and I dream that I eat an entire pan of lasagna. I've had really like emotional ones where I dream that my father is alive again. I have dreams that I won lotteries or just at least have money somehow. Um, When I was little, I had a dream that an old man brought me my little pony dolls. And then I woke up and I didn't have them and I was so bummed. Uh, So... You know, this this dreaming of something that she literally needs to survive is like exponentially worse. Um, she keeps walking and she's kind of thinking at this point about how she has a knife and she is full of blood and blood is a liquid. And maybe if it comes down to it, she can drink her own blood, which obviously draining herself of moisture to give herself back moisture is not actually an effective cure. It's not going to work, but it will sate that sensation in her mouth. So it feels like it's doing something. It's like somebody in a boat drinking seawater and that makes it worse. It will kill you faster. But in the moment, it feels to you like you drank something and it's in your belly and you feel like you've done what you need to do. Um, So she starts thinking to herself as she's walking about maybe how she should just kill herself. And uh, she refuses. Like every time the voice says it, she like finally just puts her dagger away entirely. Um, And she falls down. And when she wakes up, there are a couple of vultures like wheeling around her. And she realizes that like this is it. She's genuinely going to die now. And she's kind of like, thank God it's over. But then gets woken up again. And there is a unicorn there. And she remembers what she read about the trapping of unicorns and the fact that it was young girls who were virginal that the unicorns went went to. Um and it it's very young it's very small and it's extremely gun shy she keeps on thinking to herself about look is the fact that i like kissed a boy does that mean that i'm less of a virgin and it's like sensing that or what but later on she starts to think i think it's just really young and doesn't really understand the rules um and she's trying to get it to like come towards her because she's thinking maybe she could ride it or maybe at least use it for support or perhaps eat it. I don't feel like that's really on the table for her. Um, but yeah, she faints again. When she wakes again, she is alone and she feels like probably that unicorn wasn't really there. She thinks it's a mirage. Um, but then just as she is about to cut her arm open so that she can drink her own blood, it appears again and she sees that its hooves are dripping with water. And this completely like changes everything. And she like manages to shove herself up onto her knees and crawls and gets to this ravine and the sand in the ravine on the way down is wet. So eventually she like digs a hole And liquid begins to seep up into the hole and she just drinks it filled with sand and mud and everything. Um, And 
it's a little bit before she manages to satisfy herself enough that she has the patience to let the mud actually settle to the bottom. Um, and she shares with the unicorn. She calls the, the unicorn little horse, which I'm like, you really come on. It's not even a horse. Like you can't do better than this, but unfortunately no. Um, so she eventually is like, drinking by putting her handkerchief into the water and squeezing that out into her mouth, which keeps all of the dirt from actually like getting into it. Um, and she would have stayed longer, but the unicorn is acting impatient to be off. And she starts to realize that somehow the unicorn is like not from this place. This unicorn wandered out here and is lost the same way that she is. So it is suffering. It's having a hard time with there not being water the same way that she is. And there's all of these ants at one point and the unicorn stops and begins to eat them. And she's like, oh shit. And then she begins to eat them too. Um, and there is like a lot of eating of different like insects and thistles and everything. And they sort of find things for one another that maybe they can't eat, but the other can. They keep walking and at some point, um, they wind up coming, getting to another like stretch where there's no water. And she uh, is startled all of a sudden by the little horse making this like startled neighing sound. And there is a sandy hollow that it's running from. And Siri thinks that it's trying to alert her that there's water here. But Siri is like noticing a little too late that this is like a perfectly round hole, that this doesn't make a lot of sense. And this fucking thing comes up out of the sand. Um, and she's trying to scramble away, but the more she does, the more she sort of slides downwards. It's like a sort of a sinkhole. Um, the unicorn neighed, uh, reared neighing frenziedly as the edge collapsed under him. Um, his back legs were completely stuck when he had slid to the very bottom of the pit. He was caught by the horrible pincers of the creature, which was concealed in the center. So the unicorn gets badly injured and they manage to get away but it's starting to get infected and siri doesn't know what to do to help it and she pulls her knife out at one point because she is pretty sure that what she should do is open the wound and get the pus out and that will help relieve the infection but she hasn't been trained in how to do this um and this fight against this creature is so like it's really a lot to ask after what she's been through and how weak she is to go up against this thing. Um, and the unicorn winds up like saving her really in the end and uh, jams its hooves down against the thing and like crushes it. But this injury that she feels like she owes the unicorn, right? Um, she, says something about how the witchers never taught her how to treat wounds. They only taught how to kill. And while I understand that in theory, in it doesn't ring true to me 
Like butchers are going to get injured, right? Aren't they going to need to know how to treat their own injuries? I don't know. It just felt like a, maybe she just hadn't reached that point in her training, but I feel like we're supposed to take something from that. That doesn't really sound true in, you know what I mean? Um, and as they are continuing to walk, there are a lot more of these craters all over the place. And she's really like paranoid about not straying too close to any of them. And some of them are like twice as big as the one that they just got out of. Um, Siri was convinced they were traps for careless creatures and the monsters were only dangerous to the victims that fell in. By being cautious and staying away from the hollows, one could conceivably cut across the sandy ground without fear. Um, she was sure there was no risk, but preferred not to find out. So she found, like, is is keeping an eye on this injury. She's keeping an eye on these, these pits. Um, and she's kind of wondering what they managed to survive on, these things that are buried here. Um... And she looks, she actually sees something come flying out of one of these pits at one point. And she goes down and it's like, looks like it's the body of a rabbit, but it is shrunken up and dry and hollow and very light. And Siri realizes it, they drink blood. They are sucking all of the moisture and blood out of these creatures. So they're doing what she was thinking of doing to herself, essentially. Um, so yeah, there's the, like the, it's a combination of the, there was an infection and the creature was actually venomous. She's struggling to know what to do. And she says, they taught me how to kill telling me that's how I could save people. It was one big lie. They deceived me. And again, I don't like, that's not entirely true. Is it? It just feels like desperate girl talk. Um, so eventually she's thinking about, again, tapping into the power that she managed to reach before to try and heal the horse, the unicorn. Now she's got me saying horse. Um, she is trying to locate another like vein of water or something. And she can't find one the way she was able to last time. And she realizes that the only magic that she has tried is like water magic, but there is also fire magic. And now she starts to realize that maybe she can light a fire and, and get like, use that. Well, she does it, but Yennefer had told her not to touch fire energy and she is a little bit reticent and is sort of like, I don't really have a choice. I have to do this. She suddenly felt a pounding in her temples. She clutched her breast, feeling as though her rib cage would burst. A pain throbbed in her belly, her crotch and her nipples, which instantly transformed into horrifying pleasure. She stood up. No, she didn't stand up. She floated up. The power filled her like molten lead. The stars in the sky danced like stars reflected on the surface of the of a pond. The eye burning in the west exploded with light. And there is, it's another language. It sounds, it looks like Hail Enye. I do not know what this means. Um, 
I I don't know. Like, it seems like she is the one chanting this because then she says, I wish you to be healed. That is my wish. And the fire, like, shoots upwards. And he bent his, the unicorn bent his neck, swung his head towards his thigh, quivered his nostrils, and snorted as in disbelief. He neighed loud and long, kicked his hooves, swished his tail, and galloped around the fire. And Siri is really proud of herself and starts saying, I have that power. I can do anything I want. We don't have to look for any more springs. We don't have to drink scooped up mud any longer. I have the power and I feel that's, uh, I feel the power that's in this fire. I'll make rain fall on this accursed desert. I'll make it gush from the rocks. I'll make flowers grow here. Grass, cabbages. I can do anything now. Anything. She lifted both arms, screaming out spells and chanting invocations. She didn't understand them, didn't remember when she had learnt them, or even if she'd ever learnt them. That was unimportant. She felt power, felt strength, was burning with fire. She was the fire. Um, and eventually, the fire that is in front of her sort of whips up, and there's like a slash of lightning in the air. Things are really getting a little out of control. And then she hears a voice. You can do anything. You are in possession of our power. You can do anything. The world is at your feet. You are great. You are mighty. There was a figure among the flames, a tall young woman with long, straight, coal black hair. The woman smiled wildly, cruelly, and the fire writhed and danced around her. You are mighty. Those that harmed you did not know who they had challenged. Avenge yourself. Make them pay. Make them all pay. Let them tremble with fear at your feet, teeth chattering, not daring to look you in the face. Let them beg for mercy, but do not grant it to them. Make them pay. Make them pay for everything. Revenge. So this really, the 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 spirit of the fire, for lack of a better description, was really when I started to feel like, did I press the back button? Because this creature just kind of goes on in this vein over and over again, over the next few pages. Um, and like Siri can see behind this figure in the flames, all of this like destruction happening, people being hanged, corpses, gallows, um, and, other gibbets stretched away towards the horizon and on them hung Skowia tail. Um, the sorcerer Vilgefortz danced on a towering stake, his beautiful, fraudulently noble face contorted and blue-black with suffering. The sharpened bloodstained point of the stake protruded from his collarbone. Other sorcerers from Thin Ed were kneeling on the ground, their hands tied behind their backs and sharpened stakes awaiting them. So obviously this is supposed to be like a fantasy of like the most brutal kind of revenge. Um, and Siri is thinking to herself, no. And the black haired woman says, yes, despise them. They all harmed you or wanted to harm you or perhaps will harm you in the future. Hold them in contempt for at last the time of contempt is here. Contempt, revenge, and death. Death to the entire world. Death, destruction, and blood. And there is just one vision after another of people that she has, like, grown to know better. Like, it, it starts with people who are kind of 
distant from her, but it gets more and more personal with eventually Dandelion and uh, Yennefer and at the very end, um, of course, Geralt. And they are covered in blood. Uh, Let the whole world cower before me. And fire surrounded her beyond the wall of flames was a furious neighing. Unicorns were rearing, shaking their heads and dashing their hooves against the ground. Um, the black haired woman raised her hands and they were covered in blood. And Siri yells, I don't want you or your power. And this woman yells back at her. Yes, you do. Of course you do. Like, don't lie. But she says, no, I don't. I relinquish it. She didn't know if the fire had gone out or if her eyes had clouded over as she slumped to the ground, feeling the first drops of rain on her face. Then we get the weirdest little interplay of what seems like gods, something is watching. This is all in italics. There are no quotation marks. So it's implied that this isn't being said out loud exactly. Um, but the way this goes is one says the being should be divested of its beingness. It cannot be allowed to exist. The being is dangerous. Confirmation. Negative. The being did not summon the power for itself. It did it to save Ihueraquax. The being feels sympathy. Thanks to the being, Ihueraquax is once more among us. But the being has the power should it wish to make use of it. It will not be able to use it. Never. It relinquished it. It relinquished the power utterly. The power disappeared. It is most curious. Um... Let us leave the being. Let us leave it to its fate. Um, so she's laying there and essentially kind of like feeling empty. Relinquishing this power has somehow made her feel this void inside her. And it says she felt blood on her inner thigh. She did not care. I'm like, did she like, like, I'm wondering if a combination of things like, is she either suddenly getting her period because that is just the time that, you know, the time of the month for her. Or is this like a reaction to giving up the power? Is this supposed to be sort of like a hemorrhaging in her body? Um, and eventually she, there are like horse hooves hitting the ground. And it is not little horse. It is somebody. She is like lifted off the ground. They're like the person who has found her is talking to her and she doesn't understand and doesn't answer. Um she reacted indifferently to water being splashed on her face. When a canteen was put to her mouth, she did not choke. She drank. Indifferently. Neither did she care later. She was hauled up into a saddle. Her crotch was tender and painful. She was shivering so that she was, so she was wrapped in a blanket. She was numb and limp on the verge of fainting. So she was fastened by a belt to the rider behind her. The rider stank of sweat and urine. She did not care. Um, and nothing mattered any longer, not even the fact that the knight in command of the riders wore a helmet decorated with the ring wings of a raptor. So that is really alarming. This is the one that Geralt had let Lee live, um, in the chapter before, because he said that he had saved her and apparently is doing so again. 
And this is the guy that she had been very afraid of, but then decided once he took his helmet off that like, oh, he's not like a being of nightmare. He's just some dude. And I'm not scared of him now. Um, and there's a last section at the very end of this chapter describing a bunch of, uh, of men burning a woman alive and how they had intended to like burn her really slowly in order to draw out her suffering. But the way that she like spoke and the, her, the curses that she was like putting on them or the abuses yelled at them, got them so agitated that they decided that they were going to get that fire really going so they could get her the fuck off of planet earth. Um, and she says, an Avenger will be born of my blood from my tainted elder blood will be born. The Avenger of the nations and of the world. He will avenge my torment, death and vengeance to all of you and your kin. Only this much was she able to cry out before the flame consumed her. Thus perished Falca. Such was her punishment for spilling innocent blood. So that's the end of that chapter and there's only one left before the end of this book and I just don't even know what to think. I really don't. Like uh I I hope that Siri is able to recover, but it seemed like this was really traumatic for her. So and and you know her her being captured by these people is bad news. Like this is precisely the wrong set of hands for her to fall into. But I guess we will find out. So yeah, this chapter was like painful to read. Um, I thought it was pretty well done. But like I said, there were points where it got very repetitive. But overall, I did like it. So um, thank you very much to Melanie for commissioning this one. I can't believe the book is almost over. Like I just I feel like I, I still don't have a grip on what's going on. But I guess I sort of, sort of feel that way with you sometimes. Um, and I hope that you guys are enjoying the show. And until next time. Toodaloo, motherfuckers. Spoiled Network Podcast. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.